Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prey, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on the show, getting you ready for this Pac-12 championship game. Uh, this is your preview podcast. Uh, we're going to do it one short day, so we're cutting one out. Um, number 10 ranked Oregon Ducks go to Las Vegas, take on the 17th ranked Utah Utes. Uh, Utah won this previous matchup just two and a half weeks or so ago, 38 to 7. Um, rematch of sorts. Games on ABC, 514 kickoff from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The big crew, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, Holly Rowe. Uh, will be on the call. This is Oregon's third straight Pac-12 championship appearance. Uh, second in three years, they will face the Utah Utes. Um, kind of the last three or four years, the two most consistent best teams in the conference meeting yet again uh, in a game of similar styles, similar cultures, similar coaches, and it's really going to come down to just who executes the best it feels like i think it's we're, we're seeing the rivalry really come together i know we mentioned that going into the oregon utah game in salt lake about how that yeah. was kind of developing the result there i think adds a little fuel to this the fact that they have a repeat adds a little fuel to it um the fact that now you can go two of the last three years the pac-12 had a team kind of on the doorstep to make the college football playoff and then oregon knocked out utah in 19 utah knocks oregon out in 21 it's, that's the kind of stuff you build rivalries over. And obviously with USC hiring Lincoln Riley, we don't know like if this is the way the hierarchy in the South is going to be for a while. Um, I expect Utah to be the best team in 22. But yeah. beyond that, who knows? I mean, with what we have seen from Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, with the way he's going to recruit there, um, this rivalry might be one that is a little shorter lived than we thought when we talked about this about 10 days, two weeks ago. Uh, at the same time, like this is really fun. I think that these schools, which again, like literally no historical reason for a rivalry before the last couple of years no geographical reason they hadn't even been in the conference more than about 10 years together um but that now for the th third you know the second time in three years they're playing for a conference championship these games are really competitive and mean so much i i'm really excited just to kind of see how this one plays out in part because oregon's players are telling everybody to tune in and that this is going to be a change of outcome and i mean i thought verone mckinley i know we wanted to talk about this maybe to jump right into it was really, really strong in the way he approached everything on, on that was mm -hmm. Tuesday. Um, you know, I, I jokingly was like, give an opening statement because at this point, he's basically a pseudo coach. He comes out, he, he does more press interviews than probably, I mean, he's certainly done more than any of the assistant coaches because they only speak in fall ball. He almost has probably spoke as much as the defensive coordinators and offensive coordinator when you consider uh, post-game interviews are included in that tally. Um, I mean, he speaks so much. So I was like, give an opening statement. And his yeah. first comments were, tune in. We were embarrassed last time. Tune in. So I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of – these guys are competitors. These guys are confident. And these guys were embarrassed. I think a little bit of pride was hurt down in Salt Lake City. And, and they – I think the mission this week is not only to win, but to shore up some of that. Because that was embarrassing. I mean, it was the worst loss in the Mario Cristobal era, 31 points. It was also – just the way it happened where Oregon had so much on the line, ranked third nationally, and just didn't compete at all with a team that, frankly, they should be pretty competitive with, which is why I think this week's game has a chance to be a lot. I'm expecting it'll be a much more competitive game. We'll get to predictions in terms of outcome at the end. I'm curious to see what you – we haven't talked about what we're doing in terms of all of us, our predictions. Um, I'm curious to see what you guys will predict here. But 
I for sure think this is a more competitive game, and I would be really surprised and disappointed if it's another game where by halftime it feels like it's over in Utah's favor. I, I would be stunned by that. I'd be stunned by it being halftime and it's over in Oregon's favor. Sure. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it'll be competitive, just like basically all the other games these two teams have played. Um, Utah's a very strong football team. It's a good football program. Uh, their head coach Kyle Whittinghouse is a, is a great coach, and he's really uh, turned this team around. Uh, they, I, I think, what makes this game so like so much of a rivalry is just how Utah plays football. It's very similar to Oregon. They are ground to pound, uh, in your face, real physical. Uh, they're not a flashy offense like you'll see like at a West Coast offenses like Oregon in the past or like USC or Washington State in the past. They are in your face. They're going to run the ball up the middle and you're going to try to stop them. Um, so I think that's what makes these games so much fun and so so competitive is just how uh, these two teams basically play off each other. And Eric, like you were saying, it was interesting to hear um, Roman in these comments on Tuesday after practice. Uh, there's a clear, there's a clear message that the team has been delivering, seemingly. I just said through media, where you know they were embarrassed, and they you know want to come out and prove themselves again. Um, you know, it's a it, this is a really resilient team. I would not be surprised if they came out and did prove themselves again. Um, and resilience, in in a whole lot of ways. You know, this is the number three team in the country for a while. And so a lot of people will look at that and be like, you know, what kind of resilience do they have to go through because of, you know, their star talent, um, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Noah Sewell, people like that, where you look at just the general perspective and you're like, oh, these guys are really good. There's no resilience here. But they've had a whole lot to do this year in terms of staying on top of their game, uh, staying competitive and staying motivated all season long with injuries. Um, to just their star guys, their backup guys, their offensive coordinator. Um, <laughs> Mario's had some uh, personal issues as of late with his mother in Miami, um, and it's this is a this is a week that all all of that can be encapsulated into, and it just seems like this is going to be a close game. Um, whether it's Utah or Oregon winning, I don't expect this to be a blowout either way. Like I started this segment with, but. It's yeah. This is uh this is good for the Pac-12. This is going to be a good game. Second time in three years that these two teams have matched up for the title game. Um, the first one was close until the fourth quarter. I would say, it uh, at halftime Oregon was big up big, but Utah came crawling back because that's just what they do. Another resilient team. They've also been through so much heartache and trials and tribulations off the field this year. Um, so this is going to be an emotional battle between these two teams. And it'll be really interesting to see who just lands the big player, who comes out on top. Some interesting Pac-12 championship history for Oregon, which is a, if history is any kind of precursor to what's to come in the future, it's good for Oregon. They are 4-0 all time in Pac-12 championship games. They beat UCLA back in, tw uh, in 2011, 49-31. That was played at Autzen Stadium. They beat Arizona in 2014 in San Francisco, 51-13. Uh, and then they beat Utah to get to the Rose Bowl, 37-15 to in 2019. And then last year in 2020, they went to USC and won at their house, 31-24. And I think the overarching theme of all four of those games is that 
while Oregon won by seven against USC, none of them really felt like Oregon was ever in jeopardy of those games. So history says Oregon comes to play and plays some of their best football. It's going to be interesting to see if that holds true. Um, and we've seen big names emerge out of this game for Oregon football. Last year, it was Jamal Hill against USC. In 2019, it, it was Kayvon Thibodeau against Utah. Uh, it was also C.J. Verdell in 2019 uh, against Utah. Um, I'm curious just to see what player maybe has that moment. Is it Travis Dye? Uh, is it Devin Williams or, or Chris Hudson um, or Anthony Brown on offense? Could it be Noah Sewell putting himself on the map for an All-American season next year um, or a Verone McKinley type of a deal? But historically, we've seen individual guys that are probably not Oregon's best player that year kind of raise their profile a little bit. Do we think this is the best team Oregon has faced in a Pac-12 championship game? Is yes. Probably not. I mean, it's definitely better than 11 and 14 because those were yes. not good opponents. Those you think it's out. better than Utah in 2019? That's what I'm, that's what I'm asking. I, I, think that's, I think so. That's, that's the only team I'm not sure about because I think obviously last year's USC team was, by the way, were they undefeated going into that game? Like the USC team was yeah, having a strong season. That was a COVID year, and it's kind of hard to really know. Toss um, out the window. Yeah. The Utah team in 19 – had a much higher national perception going into that game than the Utah team this season. That Utah team had the star power uh, with Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. And on defense, they had the number one rated rush defense in the country. Um, I think these teams are pretty more comparable than I thought, but I might also be somewhat skewed based upon the fact that Oregon got demolished by this team. Um, both Utah teams, by the way, I think had one loss in conference play, which is why I think there's a question of like, okay, how are these pretty even um, teams? That's hard to do. I mean, it's as we said, nobody is, has ever run it undefeated in Pac-12 play since they've expanded to, to, to 12 teams in 11. And I think only four or five teams have gone one loss, and that includes this Utah team and the 19 Utah team and the 19 Oregon team. Um, so I, I, I think – there is an argument to be made. This is the best opponent Oregon have played in this conference championship game. I understand, Jared. I think 19's team perception wise. I actually would love to hear from some of the Utah fans if they think this is better than the 19 team or not. Um, my perception is it's probably pretty close to even. Maybe I'd give a nod to the 19 team from a star talent perspective. But this team is really hot right now. Um, I mean, this is a right. really, really impressive Utah team that has stepped its game up and since making the change at quarterback. I really think is one of the probably 10 to 12 best teams in the country. Honestly, I think the fact that they're 17th nationally is more representative of their record than it is of the team we've seen the last 10 weeks. I still feel like 17 is pretty low for them. I think it's just because they have three losses on the year. Exactly. Um, yeah. In the AP poll, they're 14th, and that's the highest three-loss team in the country. So it's pretty indicative of how they're playing recently. I do think the 2019 – Utah team was better than this year's. And that's no disrespect to this year's team. Clearly, they're an impressive group. Um, you know, one, one conference loss is already impressive enough. No one's ever gone defeated, like Eric said. Um, yeah, I just, the 2019, their defense, obviously, other than the Pac 12 championship game, was just so impressive. It was like their season average of rushing yards allowed was like 63. It was stupid. Um, so that's basically the only like bit of my reasoning as to why uh, Utah fans, I'm sure you're listening. Let us know. We'll, we'll be happy to have a little argument with you on who's better, but <laughs> this is uh, 
uh, again, this is, I'll go back to, to my point from earlier about how this is good for the Pac-12 and just say that, you know, a game between two teams where, you know, a, a budding rivalry is brewing is, is really important because right now it's, there's not a whole lot of rivals in the Pac-12 um, who are consistently good and are consistently meeting on big scales. Um, for a little bit in the past, like five or six years, you know, Washington and Oregon would, would like in 2019, they would meet up and both be ranked and or in 2018 as well, they'd meet up, both be ranked and have a good football game. But um, last year, 2020 didn't happen this year. Washington isn't as not a great year for them. We'll put it lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona state and USC and, and most of the Pac-12 South who expected to be good. were just not uh, USC and, and Oregon or USC and, uh, Utah could really start to develop something with Lincoln Riley if he work if he pans out. Um, but right now, it just seems like the, the most impressive matchups uh, with talent and physicality and you know, overall rankings and playoff implications has been Oregon and Utah the last few years. Whether that is for Utah's playoff implications or Oregon's, um, these are good games. It's going to be a fun one to watch. Adjustments. This is one in which Oregon's going to need to make a lot of them. And Utah, on the flip side, will probably want to throw in some new wrinkles so that Oregon is still on its toes. But nonetheless, Oregon, it's more, I think it's more Oregon adjustments from Utah. Um, and it's going to be curious to see what they do to, to kind of counteract what happened so poorly in Salt Lake City. Uh, it's You have to make adjustments because yeah. you, I mean, you could argue if Oregon followed its game plan better the last time out, maybe the game is a lot more comp- competitive if the execution was better because there's just a lot of execution mistakes at the same time. Like you do have to adjust. And I thought it was really notable that, and again, Tim Druder and the whole staff is very careful not to get into like super, like they don't, they won't get into schematic yeah. things really at all. Um, but he, what, what Tim Druder did say, which I thought was notable was that they're simplifying a lot of what they're doing this week. He thought there was just, maybe a little bit too much communication needed pre-snap, a little bit too much thinking needed when the, the ball was snapped previously. Um, and so they're simplifying things, is what Tim Druder said. And I, I thought that was pretty notable. Um, what that looks like on the field, I will be curious to see. I will be curious to ask post-game Mario and whenever we do get Druder again, which, by the way, could be a minute just because of the way it comes down. And this is We're looking at bowl game following this, and it's always kind of unclear about when we get time with the coaches after that but I, I will be curious to see what this looks like um it seems to me that maybe you just have to really man up a little bit more um especially on passing downs especially with the way keithy really just killed you in the middle of the field and i understand some of that was against man um i thought it was notable that it Deruder was asked would you ever double team a tight end and was like, I've never done that before. Verone McKinley said that that was something that they weren't interested in doing um, because they think they've got quality enough defenders that they can play a Brent Keithy one-on-one. Um, that matchup to me is really pivotal. He, The last two weeks, really, the tight ends have just carved Oregon up, right? I mean, you go back and you think, okay, Washington State doesn't use tight ends, but the last two weeks when they've faced offenses that will play two of them at a time quite frequently, how effective – first Brant Keithy was last week, Luke Musgrave had a career day and you go back and look at his career stats. Like he almost produced his season total 
in that one game. And he wasn't the only one for Oregon State getting looks. Tegan Quitteriano had a couple as well. So tight end to me feels like a really pivotal part of this. And I will be curious to see if there are changes that are notable that we see and recognize of, okay, maybe personnel-wise they try to put different bodies on him. Um, I mean, obviously they're not going to double him based upon what they've said, but will they find other ways to get disruptive and creative there? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I do think it'll be interesting to see defensively how they adjust because I, I just, I felt like, especially on third down, they just didn't give themselves a chance and um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Offensively, Moorhead was even more coy with really talking about anything aside from the fact that you want to stick with your bread and butter. You don't want to move completely away from it. Um, and he, I think one of the things that was notable that he said was about the Oregon state game as he was asked, why was the offense so much better? It was, you know, what they asked kind of what adjustments did you make? It was, there weren't really necessarily overarching adjustments made. It was just, we executed and stuck with our game plan and that was what made it so impressive. So I don't expect to see offense do too much differently. Um, Jared, do you have anything else? Cause I know you wrote the story on, on this. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for the offense, I thought Moorhead was, it was interesting because he came out and said, you know, if you rewatch the Utah game, it's he, his direct quote was, uh, it's not a situation where they forced 10, three and outs and we punted 20 times. Yeah. Which is true. Like Oregon was able to move the ball at points. Um, yeah. And that first the, half, especially. Yeah. And, and again, I think a huge, I've talked about this before, but I think a huge issue as to why Oregon could have moved the ball after that first quarter and the second half was because of Anthony Brown's injury. And he seemed to be mobile against Oregon State. Um, I mean, the first play of the game was a 12-yard rush. So that was really nice to see going into it. Um, but, yeah, uh, Coach Moorhead basically just said, we're just going to stick to our fundamentals and our like, our basic game plan because it, it was working last week. Uh, he said, obviously, there's going to need to be some adjustments. You can't just have the same thing every week, obviously. But um, he said there's not going to be a complete overhaul or a completely new system or something like that. Um, and I think that's exactly what Oregon's offense should do. Uh, they've been a, a good offensive team all year long. They've been really good the last few weeks. Um, Anthony Brown has been was, – was unbelievable against Oregon State. Um, and I think they just need to keep going off of what they've been doing. Uh, obviously, they need to establish the run and – of course, the last time against Utah, that was really situational where they couldn't establish the run. They needed to move the ball downfield. Um, this game is played in a dome, which I thought mm -hmm. was a couple of interesting questions that were asked. Um, yeah, there's it's not going to be in, in high altitude like it was in Salt Lake City. It's not going to be whatever it was, like 45 degrees, 40 degrees out at game time uh, with some wind. So, and, and Oregon's going to be able to play on a fast turf. And... What exactly a fast turf is, I don't know. But anyways, um, they're, they're going to be able to run their whole offensive game plan. And uh, I think Coach Moorhead has done a really good job at doing that this year, uh, especially the last few weeks, like I said. So I don't expect there to be too many significant changes on offense. Um, but, yeah, like Eric, like you were saying on defense, like there needs to be some, some adjustments here. And whether that is doubling Brant Keithy, whether that is – switching to more man or zone, and, but really it all comes down to holding Utah on third down. I, I actually think it's what you do on first down on both sides of the football. Sure. If if Utah consistently gets six or seven yards or five yards on first, 
you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to stop them because that opens up play action. That opens up, you know, being able to have a missed down where you only get one yard on second down um, or lose a yard and still have a third and manageable. And then for first, um, for Oregon, like it doesn't matter if it's throwing or if it's running, you have to get positive yardage. How many times did they put themselves in tough spots where they faced a third and eight or a third and nine or a second and 14, or, you know, I think there was a big play that happened for Oregon on a first down run and it came back because of a holding penalty and set up a, a first and 15. And then they, they couldn't get up and had to kick a field goal and then it missed. So I, I think it boils down to what Oregon does on first down on either side of the football. If you win that down, you're going to put yourself in a really good position to win. But like Jared said, adjustments need to be made. And on the money downs, third downs, you have to be good. Utah was what, like 13 of 15? On 11, of, 11 of 14. Yeah, 11 mm-hmm. of 14 on third down conversions. Like that's bad. That Oregon's defense needs to be better there. Um, and then offensively, you've got to be able to extend drives. If you can't, you're, you're going to be in trouble. What Before we dive into our, our game picks here, real quick, perception of Oregon here. Is it on the line at all, considering they got blown out last time they, these two teams played in embarrassing fashion? And if, if they go out and they lose this game again, whether it's close or not, I, I think – the overarching perception isn't going to be damaged a little bit, but this program will will get hit hard by some national you know, critics, I, I think. I think this is a very important game they have to win. They lose in similar fashion. The narrative will be this team is not as good as we thought they were at all this season. Um, if they lose at all, it's going to be clearly Oregon wasn't the best team in the Pac-12, which would be hard to argue if Utah won both games, right? Um, which would be counter to what we – I mean, the sense all season has been up until that Utah game as Oregon was the class of the conference. After the Utah game, it switched to, well, maybe it's Utah. And now Oregon has a chance to prove it's the class of the conference. And if they lose, I think you go, okay, it was Utah was the best team in the league this year. And it's hard to argue. They would have been 9-1 and one against Pac-12 teams. That's really difficult to do. Not a lot of teams have accomplished that um, since the conference has expanded. I'm not necessarily – anticipating and maybe I'll be wrong that everything gets completely rewritten and the national narrative becomes Oregon's kind of an also ran. I already kind of feel like the PAC 12 is perceived as, I mean, I thought it was really telling. I mean, even when Oregon was winning this year, I mean, how little national appreciation there was for this team. And I understand because it becomes a, you know, a competition of who wins the prettiest and Oregon wasn't winning pretty games. Oregon doesn't win games pretty pretty much in general under Mario Cristobal. It's not stylistically the most pleasing way to play football, probably, if you're just talking purely from an entertainment perspective. You know, they want to ground and pound, and that wasn't always the most fun thing to watch. You know, it's the equivalent of maybe maybe Jared can add to this analogy, but in Major League Baseball, if you have a team that is more defensive-oriented or has strong pitching staff but doesn't necessarily – maybe this is Oregon baseball. Even. Small ball, right. Yeah, small Horton, ball with, right. with George Horton as opposed to Wazikowski now who opens it up a little bit and they swing for the fences more. Um, but the equivalent is if you can find, you know, you don't maybe win the games that pretty, but you're winning football games. And I thought the national narrative all year was kind of dismissive of Oregon for that. Um, 
if Oregon loses this game, it becomes even more dismissive. I still would anticipate Oregon would be the highest rated Pac-12 team going into 22. But maybe that's a team that rather than if they win this game and let's say Oregon, let's say best case Oregon wins this game, wins a Rose Bowl. I think they're a top six to eight team in next year's yeah. preseason. If they lose this game and then maybe lose a bowl game, they fall probably to the 15 range, somewhere in there, 15 to 18, I would assume, you know, even with quite a bit back. But um, so, yeah, I think there's a small alteration. I think to me, the big takeaway just becomes Utah is the class, the conference. And, and maybe I'm completely wrong in saying Oregon would still be the highest rated team going into 22, because if Utah wins and they return quite a bit of their team, they have a really good argument that they should be ahead of Oregon, especially if they win in a dominating fashion, which, again, I don't anticipate will happen, but obviously is a, is a possibility. Yeah, I, I think the perception of Oregon, if they were to lose this game, hurts them more in 2022 rather than it does in 2021. I think their perception in 2021 is it doesn't matter anymore. They, nobody cares about Oregon on, on the East Coast or, or nationally Probably right true. now. Because why should they? They're out of the playoff race. They're 10th. Uh, the best they can do is a Rose Bowl, which is great. We love the Rose Bowl. Unbelievable game, the granddaddy of them all. Um, that's not the college football playoffs. So if Justin Herbert's team in 2019 just wasn't – after they lost to Arizona State, um, people started to to not care about them at all. Um, the same thing's going to happen with this team. And that's just how it is. That's how the Pac-12 is. It's, 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 it's why everybody had – earlier, like when the Oregon was still in the playoff hunt, had just predicted them to lose to Utah because that's just how they viewed it. And Oregon didn't prove anybody wrong on the national level. So now the national media can just say, yeah, nope, this is exactly what we thought and keep moving on. So I don't, it's not going to have any impact to Oregon if they lose again this year. It's just going to be like, well, Utah was the best team in the conference. So there's that. And then they're going to move on to whatever fourth and fifth place SEC team plays in some some bowl game this week um but utah if they win that'll look pretty good for them they'll be the the cream of the crop for the pac-12 the like eric said they'll go into next year is probably the highest rated pac-12 team um and depending on who they return they they should be or they should be um maybe just behind oregon at one point i don't know um we'll, we'll see obviously it always depends on who comes back and what hires are made and things like that. But as far as, um, as, yeah, as far as Oregon moving forward, I don't really think this changes the overall perception of them. Um, I think a couple of like a couple of national media people who really do pay attention to the Pac-12 and the West coast. Um, they understand that Oregon has gone through a, a barrage of injuries, a myriad of injuries where this is not a hundred percent healthy team. This is not even a, I don't know, 75% healthy team. This is a team that is, running on fumes and it finally hit the wall that it should have been hitting earlier in the year with their lack of, in, or with their lack of depth and just pure injuries to star players. And with, with those guys coming back, I can see them um, being perceived in a, in a, in a hot in a positive light for next year. It's just this year is over in terms of good national narratives for Oregon football. Let's go over to our picks. I'll start with the offensive individual award. I think Anthony Brown is going to have a much better performance against Utah. Um, he had just 239 yards of total offense in this game. He was 17 of 35 the first time around throwing. He only ran the ball eight nine times for eight yards. 
Um, I, I'm going to say he has 270 yards of total offense and three total touchdowns, whether that's him running the football or throwing. Um, I, I think we will get a better performance, a much better performance from Anthony Brown in this game where he's much more efficient in what he does. Maybe he doesn't have to attempt the, the, the ball 35 times and through the air, but when he does, he gets some yardage for Oregon. If he has to throw 35 times, they're probably not winning this game. Yes, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I went with more uh, accumulative thing here. Um, I'm th- I'm saying Oregon is relying on so many true freshmen, and I'm including Chris Hudson here still. But, like, you do the tally, like, they're playing seven guys a lot of snaps that are first or second year freshmen, whether it's Byron Cardwell, Seven McGee, uh, Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Maliki Matavau, Terrence Ferguson. I just ran through basically all the skill position guys, and they're all first or second freshmen. Um, Matt brought up a point earlier that I, that I, that I agree with in terms of in these big games, usually there's a, a player or two that kind of jumps out and it's, in my opinion, going to be a freshman. I think you, you, at this point of the year, they're basically sophomores almost. You look at them that way, they have a full year of experience. And so I, I think they're ready to contribute. We've already seen Chris Hudson contribute. We've seen Byron Cardwell contribute at a high level. We've seen Ferentz Ferguson and Maliki Madaval play a ton of snaps already. Um, I think cumulatively, these guys are going to make plays and I'm predicting among that seven player group that I ran through a moment ago, two of them will score touchdowns or there will be two total touchdowns scored by one player in that group. I think two or more touchdowns mm-hmm. scored amongst the seven players that I mentioned, those seven freshmen um, will have a, have a day and, and we'll keep this game competitive for Oregon because I really think that for Oregon to have some success here, they have to win with their athleticism and speed. And obviously I'm not necessarily including Ferguson or Matavau in this comment, but I think Oregon does have some advantages there, and these freshmen are probably among the best bets to have big days because of that. I like the freshman idea. That's a good one. Um, I, I I don't know. For me, it all comes down to how Travis Dye does. I think that's the, uh, the, the crux of Oregon's potential to win this football game is if Travis Dye can perform well as he has in the past, as he's shown so often this season. Um, I think Oregon has a real shot. If Utah shuts him down like they did the first time they play, it's going to be really hard because then Oregon's going to have to uh, have to win off the right arm of Anthony Brown. And Anthony Brown can only do so much. Um, it's, it's a tall task to ask a lot of quarterbacks to carry a team to a victory over Utah this year. And I, Anthony Brown's been playing a lot better of late, um, but – Again, that's a really hard thing to ask. So Oregon needs to establish Travis Dye in some way. Uh, getting him out into space on screens, just using him in like they've used him a couple times against Oregon State as just a wide receiver. They just went five wide and had Dye line up at the bottom of the, of the formation. Um, running between the tackles, off tackles, just something to get him going. And if they can establish that from the very start of the game, um, I think that's going to help them uh, in terms of you know, when overall just like winning the game. And if, if, if Oregon can't get die going, it's just going to be so much harder. Um, and I thought about putting, you know, die or Cardwell and taking a book or a page out of Eric's book, putting two players, but I think die is the better back here to play against Utah. I almost feel like Cardwell is almost too big sometimes. Mm-hmm. And because of Utah's size and how they fill up holes, um, Die is a little more elusive, a little more slippery. I feel like he's going to be the guy that they need to get going. 
sticking kind of with the theme of Jared's for team pick here for the offense, Oregon had just 63 yards of total rushing against Utah the first time around. I think they triple that number, and they go over 180 yards rushing in this game. It's not going to be all die, but I, I think what Jared said is true, that this team needs to get him going. They did, they did a disservice to the offense of not being able to go to him as often as they should have, and part of that was because they had the throw. But even then – I think he's one of Oregon's best weapons in the passing game, leaking out of the backfield, screen games. Um, I, I just think Die needs touches. Um, but sticking with the run aspect of it, I think they go for over 180 yards on the ground and will have a much better performance rushing the football. I'm focusing also on in, kind of improvements from the first meeting with these team predictions. So I went Oregon converts its, all of its red zone trips into points. Um, it, Oregon has had, I think, 55 red zone trips this season. Nine of them have not resulted in points, and three of those came against Utah. So you just kind of think about it. That was kind of an outlier game to just have three trips that you don't score any points from. Um, obviously, two of them resulted in missed field goals. The other was a turnover and downs on their, their final drive in the fourth quarter. Jared and I probably missed most of because we were in the elevator trying to get down to field level. So I still, I, I think it was an Anthony Brown incompletion on fourth, but I couldn't really tell you much more about what took yeah. place there in that drive. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, I think, you know, it, and it's imperative for Oregon to be competitive that they play better on the red zone and they're pretty good red zone offense at times this season. Obviously they have had plenty of hiccups with penalties, with miscues, with plays that don't work and you end up behind the sticks of where you want to be. Um, but I think they're going to do better here. Points does not require touchdowns. I think there's going to be quite a few field goals potentially kicked in this game in general just because it is a rivalry game. And those sequences near the end zone oftentimes become more difficult in these kind of circumstances just because so much is on the line. And these defenses are pretty good down around the end zone. So um, Oregon gets to the red zone. I'm not going to predict how many times, but I think they come away with points every time. And it could include several field goals. I like that one too. Uh, you're on fire today, Aaron. Would it be? I, uh, I again, I think this game really comes down to execution, which goes into Eric's red zone narrative. Um, and I think Oregon's offense has to execute in terms of just, uh, just properly going out with their plays and sticking to their game plan, and again establishing the run. So I have Oregon with uh, over 400 yards of total offense. They had 294 their first meeting against Utah. Um, I think it's totally possible for them to get another 100 yards out of that. Um, Utah put up 386. They obviously against Oregon in, in, in late November. Uh, obviously, they, they took the foot off the gas towards the end of the game because they just didn't need it. But yeah, Oregon's offense, if they can execute and stay out of dumb penalties in the red zone, for goodness sake, um, they can get an extra 100 yards of offense. And I think Anthony Brown will, will do his normal thing where he throws from 225 to 255, 265 um, total yards on through the air. And if he's healthy, he can easily add another 60, 80 yards on the ground. Um, but again, like, I, like I've said before, that ground attack from Anthony Brown is so important for Oregon's offense because it really gives every other defense something to look at. And he could tuck the ball and keep it himself for six to ten yards or hand it off to Die, um, who's 
again, it's got to be important as well. Um, so I think just the combination of Brown looking healthy, overall execution in either the red zone or just the middle of the field, um, that can that can get Oregon to that 400-yard marker. All right. Uh, individual defense here. Um, I'm kind of just playing into Oregon's best player and getting tackles. That's Noah Sewell playing a team that's going to run the football predominantly. Um, I think Noah Sewell has double-digit tackles. I think Noah Sewell has at least two tackles for loss. And I'm also going to say that Noah Sewell has at least one pass breakup, whether it's him at the line of scrimmage trying to time it, which he's done so often this year, or in pass coverage. Um, I, I think he's going to have a big game just because of the sheer number of opportunities he's going to have to make a big game. Yeah, I, I'm. we're on lockstep here. I, I'm predicting a little bit more from a tackles perspective. I just decided to go big here. Um, I'm going career high in tackles, which currently is 14 against Arizona in September. I, I think I think he gets to 15 or more. Uh, you know, I, I was really impressed with how he played in Salt Lake. He seemed like he was one of the few guys that was really dialed in and focused and was just playing with his hair on fire. And, and I'm not surprised with that, knowing him and how he plays. Now, the injury thing maybe causes a little concern just because is he not at 100%? Does that impact things? Could he, could he leave the game again if his injury – pops back up. I mean, these are the type of things that I go through my head when I make a prediction like this. For Oregon to win, he has to play and has to play really well, in my opinion. Um, the way Utah runs its offense, you have to be good between the tackles. And so much of that is at second level at the inside linebacker spot. And I think this is a game where Noah Sue will have to play a, at a very high level. I think you might see a lot more Jackson LaDuke possibly in terms of against rundowns as opposed to Jeffrey Boss. I'm not trying to say Boss has been bad against the run, but he is 20 pounds lighter than than the Duke and I know the Duke has been kind of hailed as a, as a good run stopper. So I'll be curious to see if he plays more, but um, I, I think this is a big game for Noah. I think he shows up and I think 15 tackles, he had 10 in salt Lake a couple weeks ago. I think he's ready to have another big one. 15 would be wild. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of tackles. I love it though. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree with you that Sewell is going to be so important, but my pick is for Verone McKinley to have a day. Um, just hearing him talk after the press conference, it's very clear that he is he is motivated himself. Um, if the defense is as motivated as him, it uh, could be a very interesting day to watch. Uh, but I have him over six tackles, six-plus tackles, and at least two passes defended. Uh, McKinley nearly got a six-interception last week against Oregon State. Um, just you know, collided with Jamal Hill and coverage and – Nobody got it, which is fine. Good pass breakup, though. Uh, and he's going to be really important this week. He's important every week. He's Oregon's best secondary player. He's probably the third best player on their defensive squad. And that's saying a lot because you have number one overall pick, Kayvon Thibodeau, on that same group. Um, and with how Utah uses their tight ends, this is going to be a huge day for him. Uh, it's going to be yeah. a huge day for potentially Jeffrey Bassa and and Noah Sewell as well, but um, Jamal Verone Hill too. Just, Jamal Hill too. This is a game where Verone needs to step up, and I, I fully anticipate him to do so. Team drills here, or team defense. Um, Utah went for 208 on the ground against Oregon, and they averaged just over four yards a carry, which is one of their fewest yards per carry averages of the season. 
Um, I mean, looking at it the week before, they they went three nine five against Arizona. They did two two six against San Diego State. Um, Four point five nine against use uh, against Oregon State. I I think Oregon's defense is going to be a weird one. I think Oregon's defense does a really good job of making Utah one dimensional and a lot of their production is going to come on the ground in this game. I don't think Cameron rising and, and the tight ends are going to have the big passing attack that they had against Oregon the second time around. And it's kind of a double negative here, but I think Utah scores all their touchdowns on the ground. They go for over 200 yards on the ground, but it's going to be incredibly hard for them to get that 200 yards. It's going to be like 35, 40 carries, 50 carries, you know, high, high sheer number to, to get there. It's going to be tough sledding. They're going to, they're going to average less than their season total of 5.69. They're going to be below five yards per carry. And it's going to be just pulling teeth for them to move the football on the ground. And they're going to have to do it. Cloud of dust, three yards in a cloud of dust style. I like that one. Um, that was, I mean, it was sort of a little bit of what we saw last time too. So, I mean, yeah. I think, it, I mean, it's not totally implausible. I mean, I, I did think for some of the struggles we're going to have defensively in the first quarter in particular, those first and second downs, I mean, Utah did not have a ton of success rushing it. I mean, they, they did run the ball, like you said, for a lot of yards, but Oregon's defense held up for a good portion of that first half. And then it kind of went away and then the game went away as well. Um, Again, sticking with my theme of improvements from shortcomings, the first meeting, I'm going Oregon holds Utah to below 50% on third down. Um, Utah, again, 11 for 14 last time in this matchup. That's like an aberration, man. I mean, that, that that's really hard to do. You look at, the, you know, nationally, the best team, I mean, over 50% is, is really good, by the way. So saying they're going to be under 50% isn't saying Oregon's going to be dominant on that down. Mm-hmm. I mean, Utah right now is, by the way, this is kind of interesting. Oregon's fourth nationally on third down conversion offense, by the way, with about just over 50%. Um, mm. Coastal Carolina's first with 54%. Utah's eighth in the country at just under 50%. And I think a lot of that number came against Oregon, where I'm sure they jumped up quite a few percentage points. Um, so my point is, from a context perspective, it's hard to convert more than 50% of your third downs. It's not something you do super frequently, and it's even more difficult to convert 80% like they did against Oregon. I just, it's definitely not a game where I expect, yeah, it's absurd. It's definitely not. I I don't think 80%. Yeah. It's laughable, right? It's absurd. My God. I don't, I I don't think they get to 80. So, but I think they get less than 50. Go ahead, Jerry. Oh my, I mean, imagine if they got to 80. Holy cow. Um, I also had Oregon's defense holding Utah under 50% on third downs. That's just a good barometer. That's like, uh, that's, Best offenses for like like you said, um, best offenses converted like a fifty percent clip, which is you know, pretty low. I thought it would be higher, but I also looked that up. I'm like, huh, oh, okay, that's all right. Um, but man, anything less than eighty would have been great that first time around against Utah too. So we'll go with that. I also have uh, Oregon's defense forcing two turnovers. Close. Utah has two turnovers in the last six games. I have them now having four in their last seven. Um, yeah, man, I this was a tough game to predict. Really was. We'll get to our actual predictions in just a moment. But 
uh, this, uh, this this defense needs to do something different, and I don't know what that is. I know that Tim DeRuiter said they're going to keep it simple. It's going to look more complex on the field. It might be more simple to them and the players and the staff, but it's. I think they're going to try to do a whole bunch of stuff to try to really get Cameron Rising out of a rhythm and really try to get Tavion Thomas in the backfield because they had zero push on the offensive line last time. And that needs to change if they're going to stop Utah on third down and hold them to our prediction of under 50%. All right, team picks or game picks now. Um, I'm going to – I guarantee you there's going to be a section of Utah fan that listens to this podcast, and it's going to be a hate listen. And I'm going to play into that, and I'm going to be the homer for them. I'm going to pick Oregon to win. Um, I, I just – I don't think the game in Salt Lake City – correctly reflected what Oregon is as a team. And part of that is because Utah is a very good football team and they made Oregon pay for having a clunker of a game, which Arizona could not do, which California could not do, which Colorado could not do. Uh, Colorado wasn't really a clunker game, but pretty well. Stony Brook was a clunker game. You know, those were teams where Oregon played like a C level game and because just the team was so bad, they still found ways to win. That was not Utah. And I think Oregon, Oregon probably didn't even play a C game. That, like That's a very positive spin on the execution and the level of poise that Oregon showed coaching staff down um, at Utah. I, I, I just think that was just the worst game possible from Oregon and Utah probably playing its very best game of the season in probably the last four or five years. It was the biggest game at Rice-Eccles Stadium probably in a long time, if not ever. And I think things are going to come back down to their normal levels, and Oregon's going to play a lot better. Utah will not execute its best game in, in Kyle Whittingham history for a second time against the Oregon Ducks. And I think Oregon's just going to make enough plays in this moment to win its third straight Pac-12 championship. And look, I'm going to get called a homer. I'm going to understand that. But this team, you know, I still go back. This team is the more talented team on paper. Um, This team has, I think, the best player on the field in Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, And they are going – I think Anthony Brown's better than Cameron Rising individually. Um, I don't think Cameron Rising is, you know, this – godsend of a quarterback he's good he's very similar cut to the same vein as brown game manager um but i think brown's running changes things here for me and i'm I'm gonna pick oregon and i i think they win this game uh 31 to 30 against utah i'm also going one point game but the other direction um i think this game is going to be really fun and i also predicted this game would be fun the first time and i was wrong and it wasn't very fun it was very fun for utah fans yeah (laughs) If Utah fans are listening, they're like, no, I had a really fun time watching that football game. Um, I think a lot of people probably had less fun than you did, but uh, I digress. I, I, I expect this to be more competitive. I really do. I think, I mean, I, we talked about some of the shortcomings from the first game and how, how I think it's possible to shore some of that up. I think they will be better on third down on defense. I think they will convert their, their drives to touchdowns and field goals. I also think Utah is a really good football team. And I don't think that goes away. And it's really, it was hard for me to objectively pick Oregon to win a game after they lost by 
31 points like 10 days ago. It just felt like a kind of a reach to try to do that um, as much as I tried because I did go one, one point. Um, I think ultimately it'll come down to the fact that Oregon had to settle for a couple of field goals in the red zone. And I think the game is going to be 28-27 Utah. I think fairly low scoring. I think offensively both teams will have a little bit of difficulty in the first half. I could see it being like a 10-7 first half or something like that where it's just neither offense is really gets it going. And the second half, it's kind of whoever can be more consistent with its drives. Um, and I think it ends up being a disappointing game too because it's probably going to be a game where, and I know I've made a bunch of predictions that were positive for Oregon, but you also notice I didn't predict rushing stat defense. I didn't predict turnovers for Oregon because I think that's where things get a little bit dicey. I think Utah will not be as good on third down, but that won't necessarily matter because they're going to have some big runs on first and second down that are going to be conversions anyway. Um, and they move the ball down the field with the run. Um, and I think, you know, I think they will turn the ball over a little bit. You know, Oregon was better this last week in terms of protecting the football. Anthony Brown was really, really good. I'm a little skeptical that he replicates that. So I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I think it's going to be a fun game. And I think Oregon ultimately loses by one point in a game where you look back and you can go, man, if this, this, or this had gone the other way, we're talking a different result than they're playing in the Rose Bowl because it doesn't happen. They lose. It was a tough one. It really was. Um, I I really do think that Oregon's going to come out and, and play with a different type of intensity and, and passion that they had at uh, at Utah and Salt Lake City. Um, but yeah, like Eric, like you were saying, and like picking Oregon to win after they just got thrashed you know, ten days ago, like twelve days ago, that's hard. And I think it comes down to this permanent issue that Oregon has had all season long in their intensity. Every game, Oregon's defense like forgets how to play defense for like three drives, two or three drives. And those are the moments where the opposing team suddenly crawls back from a 21-point deficit to all of a sudden it's 10 points. And it could all of a sudden become a one-score game. Um, and Utah took full advantage of that last time. You know, they went down the field in less than two minutes and and scored right before the half to make it a, a, a 21 to nothing game. And then the kick return, or the punt return, excuse me. That's the stuff that Oregon can't do. And they've done that all year long. And I think that'll ultimately be the difference maker in this game. Um, it's a neutral site, so there's not going to be a huge advantage to either or. Yeah. I have Utah winning 30 to 24. I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, I know I had positive Oregon predictions as well. Um, I do think that they play well. I think it's as simple as that. I just think that Utah will take advantage of an Oregon mistake or Oregon will not execute like they've been doing. And it's just going to be a situation where the, where the Utes take advantage of these, these opportunities. And they did that the first matchup. They've been doing that all season long. Um, and Utah is going to be your Pac-12 champion. We're going to see how this plays out here in about 24 hours or less, depending upon when you listen to this pregame podcast. Thank you for listening throughout the entire season. We'll have one more pregame show. We're in, we know where Oregon's going. Uh, it's pretty simple, I think. Uh, Rose Bowl if they win, Alamo Bowl if they lose, 
and the off chance that they go to the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl as an at-large bid um, in college football this season. So thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening all year. Until our next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.